Turn with me, if you would, to Luke 6. We're going to obviously be continuing through our series in Luke. And the next two weeks, we're going to be look, or we're be looking at two passages that are related. They, we're going to be looking kind of at this big topic of how do we respond to other people's sin. And this week, we're looking at kind of our just the initial reaction of what we are we should not do. And then next week, we'll look take some time to slow down and look at how should we be responding to people's sin. When people sin against us or when we see someone else um, who's close to us sin, how should we respond? And so this week, the short and sweet of this text is those first two words. So we're looking at 6, 37 through 40. And those first two words are judge not. And that's the short and sweet of this text. And the rest of it is just kind of unpacking that idea of judging, of not judging others. And those two words, judge not, might be two of the most abused words in the Bible, right? That we see uh, in our culture, in our own lives, those two words often misused as sort of a shield against other people's criticism. So if someone comes to you and they're trying to tell you, hey, here's a place where you need to change, we often will put these words up and say, hey, judge not, don't tell you, you know, don't tell me what I need to do. So an example of this was from, so if y'all are familiar with Bobby Knight, the infamous Indiana basketball coach who was famous for, for throwing chairs and cussing at the refs and I think he even slapped his players sometimes. In an interview after he was fired, he said, I can in no manner be seen as a Bible scholar, but the Bible says somewhere, judge not that you be not judged. With the implication being that, hey, you can't tell me what I should and shouldn't do on the basketball court. And the point is not to judge Bobby Knight. Obviously, judge not. We shouldn't just throw him under the bus because it's something we all do. We all look for ways to get out of being told that we need to change. But when we... Jesus never intended this passage to be a shield against other people's criticism. The time was when we need this passage in our spiritual tool belt, if you will, are not when other people are judging us, but when we're tempted to judge other people. So the times when we are tempted to, to look down on others, to judge them because of their sin, that's when Jesus gives us these words from Luke 6. So our passage this morning is Luke 6, verses 37 through 40. Um, please stand, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's word. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. On June 17th, 2015, Dylan Roof walked into an African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina. He shot and killed nine people. But then three days later, 
The families of the victims shocked the world with three words, I forgive you. Over and over, one by one, they took the stand at his, at his bond hearing and described how he had hurt them, how he had destroyed their worlds, and yet over and over they said, I forgive you. What could possess a person to show that kind of forgiveness? What could possess a person to forgive someone who is filled with such hatred, such racism, such violence? It's understanding what Jesus teaches in this passage. What he teaches us when he says to judge not. And there's three things that I want to pull out of this text this morning that I want us to see. The first, and it's three reasons why Jesus calls us not to judge others. So first of all is to judge not because you will be judged according to the same standard that you use. Secondly, judge not because it will lead to your condemnation. And thirdly, judge not because you are following the true judge. So we start with this idea, judge not because you will be judged according to the same standard. The first four uh, sentences here are these very neat and tidy kind of structured sentences. It starts with two prohibitions, uh, two, so two commands of things not to do, and then two commands of things to do. And each one carries a parallel result. I don't know if you see it, and it's, it's very structured, very neat and tidy. In the first two sentences, in the prohibitions, Jesus uses this courtroom language to talk about our relationships with other people. So he's not saying that if you're a judge in the courtroom, you shouldn't judge. He's not giving an absolute prohibition against judging. He's bringing this language of the courtroom into our personal lives to describe how we should respond when other people sin, especially when they sin against us. Jesus wants us to leave the judging in the courtroom, let the judge be judge, to not set our, essentially to not set ourselves up as judges over others, to not deal out condemnation to those who have sinned, whether it's against us or that we just have seen their sin. And not to hold someone's sin against them and make them, right, make them pay for what they've done. Rather than judging others, Jesus calls us here to forgive and to give. So notice the depth of this command at the kind of end of verse 37, end of verse 38. He says, forgive. So he starts with telling us to refuse to hold the offense against the other person. Right? That's the idea behind forgiveness. Right? They, They've done something wrong, and rather than making them pay, you, you forgive the debt. But then he goes on to command us to give. And so it's not just this mere refusal to do harm to those who sin against us, but it's actually to a radical grace where we seek to bless and to, uh, to love those who sin against us. So we have these four commands, right? Two things not to do, two things to do. And each of those has a corresponding reason that Jesus gives. Right? So judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. So the idea with each of these is that God will treat us based on how we treat others. And we see the same idea in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says, uh, you know, to you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we pray that God would, 
would forgive us in proportion, you know, as we are ourselves forgiving others. And the idea here is not that we are trying to earn our salvation, earn God's forgiveness by the way that we forgive other people. The idea is that if, if you've truly experienced God's grace, if you've truly experienced His forgiveness, then you will forgive others. But if you never forgive anyone, if you never show grace, if you, if you constantly judge and condemn, you show by your actions that you have no idea what God's grace is like, that you've never experienced that yourself. And then the sec- so then the second half of verse 38, he continues this idea, expands on it with a series of metaphors. So if you look at verse 38 with me, so give and it will be given to you. And then he says, good measure. So it's, he's using this analogy of, a, of scales. So at that time, when you would pay for something, kind of whatever it was worth, you'd put weights on one side and you'd put the amount of money that it costs on the other. So the image here is of a... someone who's selling something in the market and they have crooked scales. But rather than scamming the the buyer, they're actually charging them less. Right? That's the idea. It's this this imbalance in favor of the person who's buying. And then the next image he gives us is pressed down. So I don't know much about baking, but one thing I do know about baking is that I think this is white sugar, you scrape off, you just kind of scrape off, and then brown sugar, you're supposed to pack it in. Again, some head nods. Okay. Um, that's, the, that's the image that Jesus is. It's this, it's this brown sugar type of measurement of pressing it in, pressing it down, that they're not just filling it up, but they're, you're actually... So once again, you're getting not just your money's worth, but more than your money's worth. And then shaken together, it's that same idea, the goal being to fill in the gaps. And then running over is the fourth illustration he uses there that, um, of, you know, you're buying wine or some drink and it's overflowing from the cup that you have. So the, the image that popped into my head is sort of Doritos or Lay's bag of chips versus Five Guys fries. So if you, open, you, know, you get a bag of Doritos and it's like half air and you're a little disappointed with how much they have in there versus you go to Five Guys, if you order a small fry, they take a small cup they fill it with fries and they just take a handful and they dump it in the bag. Right? It's this, over, this picture of abundance, of overflowing. And, but Jesus knows, the reason he's giving us these images, these illustrations, that he knows that our tendency is to, to be stingy with other people, to assume the worst of others, to hold others to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. So we excuse our own sin by saying things like, you know, that's not really what I meant. You know, they took it, they just took it the wrong way. But then we assume the worst motives of others. You know, we forget about our own sin. We commit it one day, forget the next, but we hold grudges against other people's sin. One of the questions that this text is asking us here is where are you setting yourself up as a judge over others? Where where are you condemning the sin that you see around you in a way that is, that is sinful? And it, one of the questions that's worth asking kind of as we think about that bigger picture question would be, who in your life can't do anything right? Whose sin are you especially aware of? Because that would be a place where you are setting yourself up as a judge, where you are, use, you are not using the, the good measure, the pressed down, where you are... You're holding someone else to a higher standard than you hold others to, than you hold yourself to.
Jesus knows that this is our tendency to overemphasize others' sin while we underemphasize our own sin. Right? But here he's calling us to do the opposite. So that person who can't do anything right, who, can't, who you're especially aware of their sin, to assume that the other person's motives are pure. To assume that when they hurt you, it was simply a mistake. And then, in the times when you know their motives were wrong, when you know it wasn't a mistake, to forgive them. Jesus here does not call us to fairness. I think that's the most important thing for us to see. He doesn't call us to fairness. He does not call us to justice. He calls us to be unfair and imbalanced in a way that favors other people. To, um, to put... Um, to assume the best of them, to put others' interests before our own. Because if you always get one-to-one what you deserve from other people, you'll always get one-to-one what you deserve from God. And we know that we don't want to get what we deserve from God because we deserve judgment. But if we, if we treat others generously, if we assume the best, if we forgive, refuse to judge, then God promises to treat us in the same way. To use that same, to use an unbalanced scale um, towards us. If we, as we forgive, God promises to forgive us as well. So we refuse to judge because we know we'll be judged according to the same standard. But then, secondly, judge not because it will lead, judging will lead to your condemnation. In verse thirty-nine, Jesus says, "Can a blind man lead a blind man?" This parable gets at the heart of why it is foolish to judge others. This is the meat of it, why we're to judge not. But Jesus is saying that if you judge, you show yourself to be spiritually blind. The root cause of judging others is always spiritual blindness. It's blindness to your own sin, but even more so, it's blindness to the law of God. That if you judge others, it shows that you do not understand God's law. Paul says the same thing in Romans 2.1, or he gives the same idea in Romans 2.1. He says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. When we have eyes to see, we understand that we ourselves do not measure up to God's law. That when we, try, when we judge others, we are just blind men trying to lead blind men. And in the process, we, just, we lead both of ourselves into a pit. As we see God's law, we understand that we ourselves do the same things that we see others doing. And from that position, we have no leg to stand on from which to judge. Because if we condemn someone else for breaking God's law, we know that we have broken the very same law. So even if you haven't committed the same sin, so let's say you're looking at, or like, you know, you see on the news somebody, you know, robs a bank. Let's just, and you're tempted to judge them. Or, or maybe bring it closer to home, someone steals from you, right? And everything in you wants to condemn them, judge them, tear them down. Maybe you've never stolen. Maybe you haven't even defrauded somebody. But are you generous? Do you treat your money like it belongs to God? Because maybe you haven't actually stolen money, but if you're, if you're not tithing, if you're not generous to those in need, 
then you're stealing from God. Right? So even if we, when we haven't committed the exact same sins as others, we could do this we can do the same thing with any number of sins. That even if we haven't committed the same sins, none of us are spotless in any area. We're all sinful. We all misuse our money. We misuse um, our, our time. We, um, you know, we steal. We um, lust. We, um, we lie. So there's no category of sin where we're spotless. And in the process of condemning others, we condemn ourselves as well. One of the things that Jesus is combating here is sort of the idea of like status by negation, if you will, which is it's something we all do even if we don't do it consciously, where we kind of put others down, we judge them in order to make ourselves feel better. Right? So it's sort of the at least I'm not as bad as them idea where we see morality as, as, a, as a scale or even treat righteousness like a competition. You know, maybe not consciously, but we, we subvert someone else's righteousness so that it makes us look a little better, give us a better chance of, of winning. But when we understand God's law, the idea of status by negation becomes ridiculous. The idea that we could somehow make ourselves look better by, by judging others becomes ridiculous because we realize that by condemning them, we are appealing to the same law that we ourselves stand condemned under. I think a great illustration of this, I don't know if you guys did this when you were kids, or maybe parents, you've seen this in your children, but when you're, supposed to be, when you're praying at the dinner table, you're supposed to have your eyes closed, head bowed, hands folded in your lap, and you, across the table, see your sister with her eyes open. So after the prayer, you say, Mom, Dad, Susie had her eyes open. Right, but how do you know that she had her eyes open? Because you had your eyes open. And so the very same law that you're appealing to, you're bro- you've broken yourself. And it's just maybe silly, but it's, it's what we do all the time. When, if we judge someone else, if we condemn their sin, right, we've broken the very same law of God that, that we were, the person that we are judging has broken as well. So when you see someone's sin... Do you see yourself as better than them? Do you respond from a place of judgment, of condemning them, of arrogance, or from a place of humility? Think, knowing that you yourself are just as sinful, have broken the same law of God. Because it's important for us to see that the opposite of judging isn't ignoring sin. The opposite of judging is humility. It's It means letting the other person's sin serve as a mirror for your own sin. So, I would encourage you all, the next time you're tempted to judge someone, someone sins against you, you're frustrated, you want to pour out condemnation on them, rather than just suppressing it, because whenever whenever we talk about mental sins, and you try to just kind of rein it in, suppress it, that very rarely actually works, because those thoughts pop back into your head. They come back, um, you know, you pull, rein them in, they pop back in, you rein them in. Instead of just trying to suppress that thought of judgment, I would encourage you to use that person's sin as a mirror. To ask yourself, how have I sinned in a way that is similar to what they're doing now? So, your, your spouse, friend, whoever, says something or does something that's hurtful, that's um, thoughtless, Rather than jumping to judgment and condemnation, ask yourself, 
what do I what have I done that was that was hurtful to them to someone else right so letting that sin function as a mirror to your own heart to your own sin and then letting that drive you to Christ right and humility run to the grace that is available for all of us who deserve judgment who deserve condemnation so judge not because in judging you will be condemned as well then thirdly Judge not, because you are following the true judge. Verse 40, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. In this verse, Jesus is explaining the parable he just told, this parable of the blind leading the blind. And in doing so, Jesus, in verse 40, is kind of, he's getting across two ideas. The first is that we can't help others with their sin until we've addressed our own sin. And that's a little preview for next week, so you'll want to come back and know to hear what we're going to talk about more. The second idea that Jesus is trying to get across here is, is that he is calling us to follow him as the true judge. That he is, right, by using this language of disciple and teacher, he's calling us to be his disciples, to come and follow him, the true judge, that we want to follow someone who won't lead us into a pit. We want to follow someone who actually knows where they're going, knows the right way, and only Jesus fits the bill on that. Because only Jesus is the true judge. 1 Corinthians 15, 27 says that God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Jesus alone has the rightful authority to pass down judgment and condemnation. But the crazy thing is, over and over again in the Gospels, we see him refusing to use this right. As he forgives tax collectors and prostitutes. I think a potent instance of this is in, in John 8, when the Pharisees and the tax collectors bring this woman to Jesus who is caught in adultery. And Jesus says, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And you know, one by one, the men walk away. But the powerful thing about that story is that there was one who had a right to throw a stone, and it was Jesus. And he doesn't. And we see him do that over and over again. Where over and over, he has the right to, to pass down judgment and condemnation, and he doesn't. And this should encourage us to stop and think that if... Jesus, the true judge, refused to judge the worst of sinners, then who are we to judge others, to pass condemnation down on the uh, people in our lives? And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 40 when he says that a disciple is not above his teacher. If Jesus, our teacher, was humble and lowly enough to forgive, then who are we to think that we are too high, too holy, too righteous to forgive others? That somehow we have this sense of justice that has to be met um, when other people sin against us. And then additionally in verse 40, Jesus, he goes on to say that right, everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And that's our, that's our greatest end in life, is to be like Jesus, our teacher. Which means being forgiving, being gentle, being humble, without compromising on sin, but forgiving and so as we seek to follow Jesus and seek to be like Him, 
we seek to be gentle and loving, refusing to judge others, following Jesus who came to earth to forgive rather than to judge. But following Jesus as the true judge means more than just following him as our example. Just, uh, it also means submitting to his judgment. That over and over again in the Bible, uh, we see this idea that, uh, where God reminds us that he will punish sin. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then in the Psalms it says, it is God who executes judgment. These statements remind us that God is the true judge who alone can distribute true justice. When we judge others, we're acting as vigilantes in the kingdom of God, which heroes like Batman and Spider-Man may teach you that vigilante is a good thing, but in the kingdom of God it's not. Because there are no vigilant, there's no such thing as vigilante justice in the kingdom of God. Because when you, when you judge others, when we refuse to forgive, we're actually, in a way, we're subverting the justice of God. By, by saying, no God, I'm going to take that, thank you, and I'm going to judge, I'm going to deal out the condemnation that needs to happen here. And so in those moments, we're subverting the perfect justice of the perfect judge. So the question becomes, are you going to set yourself up as judge or submit to God in Christ as the judge? Because only by submitting to Christ as judge, day in and day out, in every moment, those moments when you want so desperately to deal out condemnation, to refuse forgiveness, it's only by submitting to Christ as our judge that we can escape condemnation. Which is the ultimate and final problem with judging others. That when we judge others, we set ourselves up as the judge. And inevitably, even according to our own standards, our own judgment, we will be found guilty. We'll be found guilty according to the same standards that we judge others. But if we submit to Christ as judge, yes, we'll be found guilty, but Christ is the only judge who even as he, as he finds us guilty can say, but look, your sins were paid for on the cross. Because it's only as we know the forgiveness of the true judge that we can be free to forgive and to withhold judgment on others. That we forgive because we have been forgiven and we refuse to judge because we know that on the last day we ourselves will not be judged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for your forgiveness, for the reminder that we uh, that you, uh, that because of Christ's death, we won't be judged on the last day. That you, uh, that uh, the judgment, the condemnation that we deserve has been poured out on Christ. Lord, teach us to, to forgive others, to rest in your judgment, to know that you, uh, that you will bring justice. And so we are free to forgive. Lord, teach us that every moment. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's stand and worship.